Good morning and welcome to Crime Talk BK. I'm your host, Joanna Perfitch, along with Megan Duffy. And uh, we are going to continue with our potpourri episodes um, just to get you caught up on your latest criminal justice <laughs> and crime news. Um, again, we are uh, recording this from the past. And uh, so if we reference anything that has happened the week before, by the time that this records, it will have been almost two weeks ago. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, but first, Megan, how have you been? Uh, I had a really good week, girl. I got my hair done. I got a mani-pedi. I had a facial. Got a chair massage Wait, really? for a half hour. So yes. New York is just up and at it. Well, here's there were a lot of precautions involved in all of this, right? Like, so my nail salon that I always go to. Everything now has a plastic divider, right? There's a plastic divider at the nail table where you get your pedicure, your manicure. There's plastic dividers between you and your pedicurist and the person sitting next to you. Everything has a sheet of plastic between it. They take your temperature when you walk in. Everybody's required to wear a mask, and you you have to make an appointment. There are no more walk-ins anymore. Okay. But they're open. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I mean, girl, I started to look like a bushwoman. Like, I really, it was, it was awful. I and guess I theoretically, hmm? now tell me about your mohawk. No, it's back. It's fresh. It's clean. It's wonderful. It's black. It's got the sides are up. The hair is straight. Everything's good. I'm feeling like myself again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. I guess I could theoretically uh, go to a nail salon here in Baton Rouge, but it sounds like a pretty um, bad idea. So. Uh, yeah, girl, I don't think it's a good idea for you down there. Uh-uh. Not going to happen for a little while, at least. You, you, what, are you guys coming back in September? Yeah, I think so. Uh, we're starting to... Um, feel the draw of the city <laughs> again yeah well you know i mean it's, it's nice being home It'll be nice to be back i um well we miss you um the city is trying to get back to normal on a very slow basis but you know what do you expect if we don't do it the right way, it's just going to get yeah. awful all over again. Uh, so. Yeah, for sure. One thing I am interested in is a status report on the cheese sticks that I left in our fridge. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're wrapped in plastic. They weren't opened. So I'm assuming that they can last a few months. Uh, but I don't know if I would want to eat them. The thing that hurts me, though, is is that I bought them for our road trip, and then I forgot to put them in our cooler. So Uh, it's like a whole fresh bag of cheese sticks, completely untouched. If you haven't, if the apartment hasn't lost power for any reason, then they should be fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming that our apartment (laughs) has been okay. We have certainly kept on paying all, all of the bills, 
in hindsight, we should have probably like paused them, but we didn't think we'd be down here for so long. And now it's like, whatever. Anyway. Um, yeah, so life down south has been pretty same old, same old. I am bonding with the German Shepherd to the point where I want to kidnap her and take her back to New York, but I don't mm. think that she will fit in our apartment. Mm. Uh, I think that's the best part about being down here is there's like 10 million animals running around everywhere and I get to eat fresh eggs for breakfast. Nice. Well, mm-hmm. out big outdoor space. Yeah, big outdoor space. Um, nice. And then my partner's. <laughs> and then um, my partner's aunt came to visit over the weekend, and she invited us to go hang out with her because she's on a bit of and uh, they have like just enough where you can like sort of go hiking in the woods a little bit. Right. And so I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> cool. Um. Yeah. Uh, so, I have a few big things, and then it sounds like you have a bunch of little stuff, right? Um, yes, yes, we can start with you, that's fine. Um, the one thing that's no, no, not... we should start with you, because I only have two things, <laughs> so... Oh, okay. Well, let me let me just start out with I think the oldest piece of news is Michael Cohen, um, which happened after we recorded last time. So uh, as everybody knows, Michael Cohen was uh, rearrested. Right. He mm-hmm. was um, it came out. It came right after that. There was a Twitter picture of him eating dinner outside. But that wasn't actually the cause of it. The cause was he and his attorney were having a meeting with. Um, Bureau of Prisons, and um, they did him with this uh, agreement, confinement agreement, home confinement agreement, because he's gonna, he was supposed to move to home confinement for the last year of his sentence uh, because of COVID. He's got pulmonary problems, apparently. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the uh, Um, conditions in the agreement that the Bureau of Prisons presented to him was that he could not uh, write a book or express any um, dissension over Donald Trump or the government or anything, right? Okay. Yes. I don't really understand that move, but sure. Okay, well, well, the the Bureau of Prisons is run by Attorney General William Barr, if that makes any more sense oh, yeah. to you. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> it does. Totally does. So, um, and so they were trying to uh, negotiate this agreement and try and get this sort of one, everything else was fine except for this one condition, and... Uh, Cohn refused to sign the agreement, and he ended up back in prison that day. Mm. Um, So his attorneys filed uh, an emergency motion, and they also sued the Bureau of Prisons and William Barr in a separate lawsuit. So last Thursday, they had a telehearing in front of Judge Alvin Hellerstein, and he said that Cohn's return to jail was, quote, 
retaliatory because of his desire to exercise his clear First Amendment rights to publish a book and to discuss anything about the book or anything else he wants to on social media and with others. The Manhattan judge uh, also added that in his 21 years on the bench, he'd never even seen such a provision for any prisoner. So he's like, how can I take this interference anything anyway but retaliatory? Uh, so it's also almost unheard of for a federal judge to get entangled up with the probation officer and the Bureau of Prisons. Usually, uh, they sort of, they don't really act in consort. The judge just sort of says yes, no, yes, no. Um, mm-hmm. the DOJ in this case tried to come to the defense of the Bureau of Prisons and probation officer arguing that Cohen's lawyer was trying to, quote, haggle about wearing an ankle monitor. And, of course, that is what your lawyer is supposed to do for you in negotiations, which the judge also pointed out. Yeah. Um, for people who don't remember, Cohen is serving, a, he was serving a three-year sentence for charges, including uh, campaign finance violations for the, Trump, for the Trump campaign, and he's the one that wrote the check out to Stormy Daniels. And then went in front mm-hmm. of Congress and told everybody and then told everybody about it. Um, so, yeah. yeah, he was uh, judge ordered him released by last Friday, which he was. And you can only imagine the constant fear Michael Cohn is currently living as long as Donald Trump and William Barr are currently in power. That is that happened. That's interesting. I mean, I feel like the further along we get into this being this being the Trump presidency, I think that we're really starting to see some um I mean <laughs> issues is just too uh weak of a word. Like there's like a lot of things that are happening that are just very unusual. I would, you know. I would go so I would go so far as to call them abuses of power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh but it all seems to be snowballing a little bit with coronavirus too. Um it just seems that like the level of incompetency that we're starting to uh really hear about is ramping up. Yeah. Um I don't know if you watched it or listened to it today, but William Barr was dragged in front of the House Judiciary Committee today uh, to testify about Portland, uh, which I know you'll talk about, and the Mueller report and uh, Michael Cohen and what's this fuck that he the, that Trump pardoned a couple weeks ago? What's his name? Excuse me. Mm-hmm. The person that Trump pardoned. That, yeah. What's his name? Is escaping me I just keep thinking about Joe Apero but I don't think that was it no. Roger Stone yep yeah so I mean there's clear abuses of power going on and it's only going to get worse through the election and if he wins then he's he you know he can do anything he wants to Impunity. So, there it is. Yeah. 
Um, so what was your, um, your take from watching, from watching that? Uh, uh, maybe only, like Portland protests aside, we'll talk about that in a minute. You mean the, you mean today's testimony? Yeah. I only watched about a half hour of it because I couldn't listen to Bill Barr spin and lie through his teeth and then and then listen to the Republican Party say, thank you for your service, sir. I'm sorry you have to go through these personal attacks. I couldn't listen to it. Uh, yeah. I just don't really know what's going on with the Republican Party because, I mean, I think I sound like a broken record, but like there's plenty of like Republicans uh, maybe not in Congress, but you know, like at like local levels, you know, or certainly like Republican voters who I don't think are evil, who uh, you know want the best for the country. Um, but then it seems like everyone is so willing to defend policies that frankly just don't make sense. I, They're hurtful. I think like, that so many people. The only thing I can come up with is that they know that the Republican Party and Trump supporters and Donald Trump and his tweet fests will come after uh, them if they so much as undermine anything that Donald Trump is doing. I mean, look at Ted Cruz. They came out. He came after Ted Cruz for some whatever stupid infraction he did. And now Ted Cruz is right back in line, right yeah. back in line. So. Um, don't think for one second that, that like, I mean, like the, the Republican white hope, the big white whale in the Republican party right now and is, is Mitt Romney. He's the only Republican that voted to impeach the man. And I just like, it's, it's, there better be a blue wave taking over the Senate and saying, Fuck all y'all. We've taken all 23 of your seats back because you don't deserve the power anymore. It's just, it's beyond comprehension. I'm interested to see, like, in 30 years or 50 years, uh, what people are saying about this time period. Well, I'm sure they're already saying what the Europeans are already talking about. They pity, they pity us. They're laughing at us. They don't understand us. They've banned us from traveling there. So that hit me in the feels a little bit when we got banned from going to Europe. <laughs> it did. And it better be lifted by my fucking 50th birthday next summer. I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. It's like, I understand it, but at the same time, <sighs> anyway. Um, yeah. And it's like, also, um, I'm in this, um, I'm in these Facebook groups and one of them, someone was asking if the European members could talk about how they're viewing U.S. coronavirus policy. And someone was just like, hey, you know, I live in, I guess she wasn't European, she lives in New Zealand. But she was saying that she lives in New Zealand and she's been watching the news about the U.S. because she has some family here. and like nobody gets why we're having such a hard time with COVID because literally all you have to do is stay home for a month and wear a mask. Yeah. 
But all three hundred and fifty you know? people, all hundred three hundred fifty million people need to do that. Instead, we've got people running around saying they're covered in the blood of Christ and they'll be fine. So, <laughs> you know. And then it's also really harming, um, like kind of the disability community because it's cheapening the public perception of the ADA. And so you have people who are like, I can't wear a mask because of health reasons. Now let me into Target. You know, like it's illegal for you to ban me from this is discrimination. I'm like, this is not at all what this means, what like the ADA means. And as someone who has struggled to get like ADA protections um it is just infuriating on that level as well and i just really want everyone to be good just one month be good Mm. you are a nicer person you're a nicer person than i am i am not that nice (laughs) i'm just very conflict averse so i don't like (laughs) say bad things about people I'm pretty uh, sure that so, I'm pretty sure that everybody knows that I am not conflict averse. I'm pretty sure everybody knows that by now. So, what let's this kind of brings into um, what you want to talk about about Portland, right? Uh, yes. Um, I have a whole thing about what's going on with Portland and the feds. Free, feel free to jump in at any time, especially since I know that you've been keeping up with the news on this as well. All right, uh, so Portland is on day 61 of protesting um, police brutality and um, just general um, mistreatment of the black community uh, by our criminal justice system. Mm. And uh, um, I'm just going to start off with really great uh, that I read by the Oregonian uh, that kind of gives a really good snapshot of what the protests there are like. Okay. Um, so uh, I think this is from yesterday. Around 1,000 demonstrators um, returned downtown on Monday for, as I said, the 61st consecutive day of protesting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the crowds are just bigger than they've ever been. Uh, this is the largest crowd of protests in weeks um, that, that was happening this weekend. Um, now, also something that is very regular about these protests is the use of tear gas <laughs> and police freaking out. Uh, so it seems like the pattern with these protests is during the day, it seems a lot more like even just like a block party. You know, it's like people are out there, they're in the streets, they're chanting, they're singing. Um, yeah, you know, it's, so, it's the same thing that happened in Minneapolis when right, right after Floyd died. The daytime was a completely different time than nighttime, right? Like, same yeah. thing. And um, you have like the, of course, like, some really amazing um, black organizers. Uh, And then you have a lot of these ally groups who are coming out to show support. Um, Apparently a naked woman doing yoga is at a protest, whatever. She's Um, a new hero of mine. She's a new fucking hero of mine standing there in nothing but a gas mask. I love her. Beautiful. 
Uh, now that I, I, kind I, of would, <laughs> I would never do it. I don't have the balls to do it, which is why I'm I mean, like, you go. Oh. It does take a lot of balls. I also sort of roll my eyes. <laughs> but anyway, um, that aside, uh, yeah, so like during the day, things are fine. In general, the protests have been concentrated around um, Portland's courthouse, I believe. The federal courthouse, yeah. Yeah, the federal courthouse. And uh, so Portland is just this really wonderful city. It's very activist-minded. People there tend to be very, like, mellow hippies, you know. And so it's like, I think that when people take to the streets, they go with good reason, and they want to, you know, protect their communities. (laughs) And... um, so when I see people are like, oh, all these violent protesters, you know, I think it's definitely worth a deeper dive. And basically, like, even when the protests get, quote, ugly, you know, like late at night, it's still, I personally think, kind of mild. Um, what is it? All right. So... The police get all upset because they erected these barriers around the courthouse and protesters are like throwing trash over the barrier. Someone started a small fire, which was promptly put out, you know, firecrackers. I'm like, okay, the neighborhood kids threw a bottle rocket at me when we were 10. Like, give me a break. I mean, look, if you're afraid of a little bit of trash, then maybe that you should find a new career. Just yeah. saying. And so I mean, everyone's like, "Oh, they're going to storm the court. They're going to storm the courthouse." And I'm like, "Okay, they're going to storm the courthouse at what, like 11 p.m. And they're going to like scare the mice. <laughs> like at the end of the day, the worst that is going to happen is the protesters just go on a rampage, and that is." There's going to be some like graffiti or something, you know. I mean, on, honest, yeah. Honestly, the the whole thing about the storming of the courthouse is totally it's totally fucking made up. Um, it's just a, it's a distraction from everything else and the failures of the administration. Don't believe the hype. Please go on. Yeah, and so in this protest on Monday, you know, it's like again, like the reporter is describing people trying to climb the gate. People are shaking it. Um. To their credit, the police said multiple times, like, please stop that. But also the point of the protest is to not stop these actions. Um, And then uh, it was getting, like, pretty late. I think it was around-ish midnight uh, where the police issued one final warning and then just tear-gassed everybody that was left. Okay, so the the Portland police or the current federal stormtroopers that are there what what part of the timeline are we on here this is federal police okay not not portland police yeah it says monday again brought waves of tear gas from federal officials who labeled the gathering quote unlawful in response to repeated fireworks and a volley of trash thrown over a fence surrounding the federal courthouse okay right these let's just be clear that these federal officials are wearing camouflage which you don't wear in an urban setting because it's made for natural settings to hide you from something. 
They're unmarked uniforms. There's no names. There's no labels. There's no nothing. And we're actually going to get into that a little bit later. Um, just one thing to uh, put into context the fact that people have been protesting for 61 days is that Alona Wilson, who is a speaker at the protest, uh, pointed out that the Montgomery bus boycott lasted 382 days between, before the Supreme Court ruled segregation illegal. And, you know, like looking back on the civil rights movement, it was not peaceful. It wasn't violent, but it wasn't peaceful. Like there's a well, difference. Okay. You but know? who, all the violence was, uh, my damn computer, pardon me. All the violence, though, was brought by the authorities in the civil oh, rights movement. Sure. Yeah. If you, you, you can go back to the goddamn Tea Party. And the British authorities are the one that brought the violence. It's the federal authorities that are bringing the majority of the violence here. And like, it's like, again, it's like the point of a protest is to um, inconvenience the people in power enough that they will actually listen to you and enact change. You know, like the quote, perfect peaceful protest would probably be like three people standing in a park and not talking. And that like does nothing. <laughs> right? I thought the women's march was a pretty peaceful protest. But I mean, it's kind of like the, the tactics of a protest that the police are all upset about is, you know, it's like spray paint or blocking traffic or, you know, like there's you're supposed to be kind of inconvenient like as a protester yeah and i mean i told we're, that's we're what calling you're to. now we're calling all of your most of your policies dick moves right we're calling you out on your bad behavior and we all know how people feel when they get called out on their bad behavior mm-hmm. they get defensive they get angry and you know but but Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you tell the story because I know we're going to get to the point that I'm just about to shout out. So I'll just let you tell the story. It's fine. Um, well, so. actually, got to <laughs> wait a moment more because I know what you're going to get upset about. Um, so all this stuff is going on in Portland. And um, on top of that, the uh, Wall of Moms and Don't Shoot Portland are two groups that are um, kind of uh, organizing these protests. They are suing uh, federal agents um, for uh, their use of violence to, quote, stamp out peaceful and constitutionally protected protests, and that their mere presence as a federal domestic security force is unconstitutional. And I'm reading this article from CNN, uh, but it has been reported widely if CNN makes you unhappy for whatever bullshit reason. Um, (laughs) It actually is true, though. It is why we don't have a federal police force. So, like, what is going on in Portland is the very nightmare that the founding fathers were afraid of. Oh, and then Masha Gessen wrote this, I mean, she's a gorgeous writer, wrote this essay for The New Yorker about how growing up in Russia and then being a reporter in the United States... Um, like the Department of Homeland Security really couldn't have been anything else but this type of police force. 
Mm-hmm. And even the use of the word homeland um, is used to kind of strike this weird balance of fear and patriotism, you know. Oh, and, I, oh, uh, I can. Oh, I remember about the de- the development of homeland security it was it, they played off the fears of 9/11 to Americans, and that spread not just that wasn't just the right that was pretty much 90 percent of the population of americans and all i could think of was like oh god here we go i just you know like we we should upgrade our airport security for sure and but i don't think we need a department of homeland security when we already have enough acronyms to cover our intelligence well, you certainly need to be wary of any group whose role is to police people like this. And, in fact, um, the Department of Homeland Security was named in this lawsuit, along with the U.S. Marshal Service, Department of Justice, the Federal Protective Service, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, um, Border U.S. Customs and Border Protection, like a whole slew of folks uh, who are kind of like part of uh, these agencies that are being sent to Portland and are just like supporting these policies. And uh, so some of the things that uh, protesters have been subjected to, according to the lawsuit, are tear gassing. Of course, I feel like that is not (laughs) controversial. Um, Unlawful arrest without probable cause. Shootings with less lethal rubber bullets and beanbags at close range, which makes them somewhat more lethal than less lethal. By DSA, um, they're being shot by DHS agents um, who, as you were saying, wear military uniforms and gear. Uh, protesters are repeatedly injured. Um, the tear gas has left some people vomiting and unable to eat or sleep. Then... Um, um, yeah. Can I also add yeah. the, the clandestine kidnapping of people off the street for no reason whatsoever? Uh, yes, for sure. Okay. Um, and actually, um, I read this article by OPB where they talked to a few folks that that happened to. And so I'm going to include that in a little bit. Okay. I'm, um, see, I'm, getting, I'm, actually, I'm so I can mad at this. Skip to that mm. uh, since you brought it up. But I have to remember to go back later. Um, yeah, so videos have also emerged showing that uh, these police uh, without any identification badges are in unmarked vehicles and are, again, wearing their military, military-esque uniforms, uh, are just grabbing protesters off the streets and shoving them into vans. Now, uh, if this doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. I'm sure some somewhere support it. I don't understand. Um, these incidents have uh, sparked a uh, investigation um, from the U.S. the state's U.S. attorney. Uh, so, I mean, in general, people are concerned, and uh, OPB. Uh, is this really wonderful uh, news station in Portland. They do great work. I was an intern there. And, uh, yeah, so I have a soft spot for them. But also, like, these reporters are 
very rigorous in their reporting. Um, and so they're like a good news source. They're actually, I think, affiliated with, which is nice. exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and so uh, some reporters actually interviewed people who have gotten like a, seized in this way. You can't even say that they were arrested because they technically aren't. They're just being like detained, I guess, like the proper word for it. And um, some of these people are not near federal property. Um, it's not even clear that all of them are even protesters you know, um, or that they've been engaging in any criminal activity whatsoever. Um, one person um, that they interviewed, his name is Mark Pittybone. I like that last name. Mm -hmm. And he actually was protesting that day. Uh, but he said that he's kind of like a hangout in the middle of the crowd and I chant things. And he was just like walking home with a friend. Um, I believe it was at night uh, and he said that this car this van just drove up and um, these guys in um, camo kind of like jumped out and grabbed him and said they wanted to talk to him and they just sort of pushed him into the van and drove off and he said that uh, one of the people had pushed his beanie that he was wearing over his face that he couldn't even see where they were driving and um, so he thinks that he was targeted by federal officers for simply wearing black clothing in um, an area around the demonstrations. And um, he said that they just took him to just this random location. He didn't know where he was. Uh, quote, it was basically a process of facing many walls and corners as they pad me down and took my picture and rummaged through my belongings. One of them said, this is a whole lot of nothing in his bag because he was just well, out now yeah. out for the day. He was just out there. This is like a bullshit catch and release program. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like let's just it's like it's like it's like have you ever watched the Gator shows where like the Gator guy goes and catches one on someone's property and drops them off in a different swamp. Like that's that's what this is. Fuck, it's yeah. so awful. Um, Pettybone said that he was put into a cell at one point, and then two officers came in, read him his Miranda rights. They didn't tell him why he was being arrested. Uh, he said that they asked if he wanted to waive his rights, and he said, hell no, and that he wanted to talk to a lawyer. Uh, so they left. And then about 90 minutes later, he was released. He did not receive any paperwork, citation, or record of his arrest. And um, I have to confirm this, but I believe the article said that um, when reporters called to confirm that he was taken, um, let me see, yeah, the all United States Marshal Service arrestees have public records of arrests documenting their charges. Our agency did not arrest or detain Mark Pettibone. They have no documentation that he was there. Of course not. It's clandestine kidnapping off the street. Of course they don't have fucking documentation. That's crazy, though. Like, why would they ask him if he wanted to waive his rights? 
Yeah, if they who, were, who would if, do that? If they were going to not document in the first place. Mm-hmm. No, it's crazy. I just don't even think... I, I mean, this is bad, of course, but then also, like, I don't think they even that the federal police were there know what they're doing. There's clearly no system in place. Like, let's say in the most, like, charitable views of this ever that Trump is sincerely concerned about whatever the protests, quote, unrest. I mean, like, mm. the okay. fact that you wouldn't document someone, that so, there's, like, no paper trail, I think is, for me, like... That's the most terrifying part, right? Like, that's very yeah. Orwellian. So, in I, what I did see today in Barr's testimony is that he was like, they were threatening federal property. It was all about the courthouse. Like, that's all he said. I'm like, well, that's not what the president said. The president said it was because violence in the streets. You use the threat of federal land and federal property to send in, and you're continuing to send to threaten to send in not only more to Portland, but to all of these other cities, New York, Detroit, Philly, like to all these big democratic cities whom you know don't mm-hmm. support the president of the United States or you for that, that fucking matter. Federal property thing is bullshit because during the Malheur wildlife refuge occupation from with Ammon Bundy and all of his, mm-hmm. folks, okay, they had people living in there for what was it like a month? Yeah. They had guns. People were going in and out. They let them have care packages. I know. Right? So if you're actually worried about federal property, which you're not, but if you were worried about it, then you'd think that there would be like a similar response to that. But no, this is very politicized, and Trump's just against the protest, and so he's doing this thing. The well, thing that is like so yeah. unconstitutional. Clearing, clearing the protesters out of um, Lafayette Plaza in D.C. They, I don't know if that's federal land because D.C. is a different place. But that church where he took that photo op, it's not federal land. That's private property. It's a church. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what? Exactly. Um, and then, so this is just like red flag on top of red flag. There is like n- no excuse for just grabbing people like this. You know, like we have school shooters who aren't treated like this. I don't know what to say. Yeah, our serial killers aren't treated like that. No. This, this is, is just not how our criminal justice system is designed to work. It's very, it's dystopian. It's Orwellian. I, can, I, I mean, like, we are sitting on the precipice of authoritarianism here. Yeah. And then just to kind of tip it over the edge, uh, Trump said Thursday uh, that he uh, could send as many as 75,000 federal agents to different U.S. cities. Uh, in an interview with Fox News, 
Um, his administration has specifically named Chicago, Seattle, and Albuquerque, along, of course, with Portland. Right. He did name New York early on, but I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't. Trump has like this weird blind spot for New York, which, as a resident of New York, I'm thankful for, sort of. Well, I don't know if he does, because he does know that the prosecutors here in the federal courts want his tax returns real, real bad. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, it could, I think he's afraid of New York, because we do have a lot of power here in the government. For sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so that's everything I have. Oh, right. Um, going back to what I was talking about earlier, and then we skipped ahead. Um, this past Monday, Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler, who, by the way, was tear gassed along with the protesters, I heard called, about for that, an immediate, yeah. called for an immediate meeting with um, DHS leadership to, quote, discuss a ceasefire and removal of heightened federal forces <laughs> last week. An unanimous Portland City Council voted to end all cooperation between the Portland Police Bureau and federal agents. So it's like Portland does not want these people there. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I was right before we got on the call today, I was reading an article about um, the, the mayor and AG in Philly and the mayor ag of somewhere else and they're like if you come here we will arrest your officers you are here doing doing illegal things we will arrest you we will not wait for a a lawsuit to wind through the courts yeah so yeah it's all a distraction from his failure for covid also just keep that in mind Mm-hmm. Keep it in mind. Yeah. And I mean, it's like the way that this works is, is that people tend to support you more when they're afraid and they think you can fix the thing that they're afraid of. Right. But he created the thing that they're afraid of. Oh, for sure. But still, <laughs> you know, oh my God. I think that's what I think that's like politically what he might be trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) get that all out of our systems. Yeah, it just makes me very angry. Um, you know, I've been working in the First Amendment for the last twenty years. It just makes me so angry, so angry. Yeah. Protest, vote, donate five bucks to your Democratic candidate for Senate. Do whatever you can. This got it's got to change. It has got to change. Yeah. Okay. Well, in that vein, I do have a report from ProPublica about the records that were released by the Civilian Complaint Review Board here in New York. Ooh, yes, please. Okay. Um, I got this from Gothamist and ProPublica, but the team at Gothamist did it best to break it down to keep it a little bit shorter. So um, I'm going to just sort of. Goddamn Facebook. I'm just going to sort of uh, quote it as I go along. So 
ProPublica, I don't know if you know or not, but they do a lot of great work with PBS and Frontline or whatever. So I'm a huge fan. So I look at their website all the time. And they released a bunch of database records from the CCRB, which, um, if you don't know, oversees the complaints from the public about the NYPD that involve abuse of authority and excessive force and offensive language and lying and all that other stuff. Um, this group of documents was obtained by a FOIA request, not a full release. Um, there's a lawsuit going on by the unions, of course, that are preventing a bunch of stuff from getting released. So this group of documents contains records of all active duty NYPD officers who have had at least one substantiated complaint from September of 1985 to January of 2020. Meaning that um, the civilian, the CCRD investigation confirmed one or more of the allegations of misconduct in this instance. So these records show that roughly one in nine of the uniformed officers have at least one substantiated complaint. Uh, that's about 4,000 officers out of the 36,000 that we have. Um, the most common, okay, so the most common known outcome for officers found to have been engaged in these kinds of misconducts is quote unquote instruction, which means that they misunderstood a policy according to the database. Many officers, though, of course, weren't penalized at all. Um, a statement from, let's see, Christopher Dunn, the New York um, Civil Liberties Union legal director, says this. Um, the CCRB often doesn't even complete investigations in about half of the complaints it get. And the fact that they don't substantiate a complaint doesn't actually mean misconduct didn't take place. It just means that they mm -hmm. couldn't come to a conclusion, right? So it yeah. means that there was problems with the investigation. It could be because the officer didn't tell the truth during the interview. It could be because the police department didn't cooperate and provide the necessary information. Um, through all of this, since, um, what was that law? The uh, uh, civil rights... 50A was repealed. That was the one that was blocking all of this information from being public. The police unions have sued um, based on the fact that uh, most of the reports in there are unsubstantiated and none of them have been finally adjudicated by the NYPD. And um, so that's their, their biggest beef. But then um, the article from Gothamist goes on to quote Pedro Serrano, who's a housing cop in Manhattan and a big NYPD whistleblower. I read a couple of articles about him. And he says this, the department leaders have fostered a culture of this impunity. They don't care about the CRBs. They don't care about how many times you get sued. They don't care how many times you violate people's rights. They just want your production numbers. If you're a good producer and you do what you're told, you'll get promoted, you'll get specialized units, and you'll be forgiven of all your past sins. Yeah. yeah. There was a really great multi-article piece on this whole thing in the Village Voice a few years ago. It was like four issues. It was very, very good. Um, 
Of course, last week, a federal judge sided with the unions and blocked the release of a number of records um, that contain complaints that have been unsubstantiated or unfounded. Um, and uh, a statement by the NYPD was also released. It says the NYPD has for many years worked to increase transparency to gain the trust of the community. While we remain committed to increased transparency, we are equally committed to due process. While recent legislation repealed NYC, NYS Civil Rights Law Section 50A, a federal judge issued a restraining order prohibiting the release of records of which allegations against our officers were found to be false, unfounded, or unsubstantiated. We await the results of the pending litigation. It's just, it's bullshit, right? It's yeah. the whole thing. The whole thing is bullshit. Um, we've covered cops like that have been, we, we've covered a lot of these officers that have gone on to huge careers and done crazy shit. Um, and they're found in, um, the three precincts where they receive the most complaints are Brooklyn 75th, the 46th, the 44th precincts in the Bronx too. Yeah. It's out there. And it's just um, so frustrating. <laughs> it's like Yep. This is what people are protesting against. This is exactly what people I just are protesting. I don't understand why people don't see these connections. But you know I'm hell no. Okay, so one more thing that I wanna clear up here because I forgot to read this, but um the and we've we've talked about how jacked up they are too when we were talking about Pantaleo, right? So they use this term unsubstantiated, which in their documents doesn't mean innocence. It merely means the inability to prove the guilt, right? So the term exonerated in their documents means that the officer was found to have committed the alleged acts, but those acts were determined to be lawful, while unfounded complaints are determined to have no merit based on the evidence. It's like, this is very confusing, to the layperson, mm-hmm. uh, unsubstantiated to me means it, almost the same as unfounded, right? Yeah. So in, in a layperson's eyes, that's what it means. So I just like I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna look more into what Christopher Dunn from the New York Civil Liberties Union has to say about it. And I'm actually um, a lot of these records are. Uh, there's this lawsuit from the union, but a lot of these records are supposed to drop, and I'm pretty sure that there's more FOIA requests pending, so I'll keep an eye on it. But ProPublica has a really great report on it, and so does Gothamist, if you don't want to go that intellectual. It's very good. ProPublica is amazing, and it's a nonprofit. They don't have a stake in this. You Absolutely. Know, they just 100%. report the truth yep. and very wonky stories. More truth than you'll ever get anywhere else, I believe. Without it, there's like no slant. It's just pure truth, pure facts. Yep. Um, I also have one more thing I want to say. Um, okay. So, oh, here we go. So, um, police have released an image of a man they are searching for in connection with the stabbing of a transgender woman in the Bronx on Sunday. Um uh, the victim, her name is, she goes by Tiffany Harris. She's 32 years old. 
she was stabbed in the chest at around 1.30 in the morning in the hallway of an apartment building and was pronounced dead after being transported to St. Barnabas Hospital. Um, they've released a photo of the suspect. You can find it on their website. Um, also, what's the number of Crime Stoppers? Do you know Crime Stoppers' number, girl? Because you used to know it by her. Yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> It's 800-577-TIPS. Okay. So, the look it up online. I don't have the photo in front of me. The, he was last seen wearing a white t-shirt and black pants with a face mask, which normally would send chills down your spine, but not these days. Um, the stabbing happened at apartment building at 2575 Jerome Avenue in the hallway of the third floor. Please call, because this is the, I think this is over 20 transgender women that have been killed so far this year. Yeah, you got to protect our trans sisters. Um, Yeah, I mean, (sighs) I know. Sorry, there's like a point where it's just like, I'm so outraged that I just start to like, go flat. I mean, we're all on the the murder. Yeah, we're all on the verge of a fucking nervous breakdown. We're all on the verge of telling someone to go fuck themselves at any minute, right? Well, Um, and also, like, the Trump administration has done so much to take any sort of, any semblance of protection or rights that trans people feel like they have. And, you know, I mean, they really don't have much. Um, Like, trans women especially black trans women have um like the highest rate of violence done against them out of like any other group that you could ever possibly think to survey i know i know so Uh, um i am grateful for the supreme court for understanding that they are identified under title seven for housing and job protections uh a couple weeks ago maybe a month ago um, but that's just, you know, that's, it shouldn't be some landmark ruling. It should just be like, well, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is. And I mean, there's like, before that ruling, you could be discriminated against, um, by healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. And that is just unacceptable. Like healthcare well, should not be privatized. You know. Well, that's it's still problematic because the government's still debating whether healthcare workers can bring in their religious rights. Yeah, so, uh, I have something to tell you. You should not be able to. You, sh- <laughs> you should into the profession. You have to treat everyone. Which brings me to my next story, which we can cover next time, because I have this doctor. Her name is Stella Emanuel. She also is a pastor at Firepower Ministries. We can talk about it next week. Like, oh, that sounds exciting. Girl, okay, give me give me a few days. I'll dig into this story. Donald Trump Jr.'s Twitter account was suspended because he because he uh, retweeted and shared this video of her. So oh, yeah. Oh yeah. She's she, yeah. Okay. I'm definitely covering this week, which gives me more time to dig in. 
Okay, we're going to cover Stella Emanuel next week. All right. Well, I think that that uh, wraps up today's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, And we'll have a new episode for you um, next Saturday from 11 a.m. to noon. Stay cool, guys.